we have finally moved into the second chapter of the book of Genesis. And uh, so anyways, um, I'm, uh, I'm thrilled really for the opportunity to be able to share this message tonight. This has been one that has been stewing for a while, if you will. And uh, so um, looking forward to preaching on this subject here of a day of rest, a day of rest. So if you look at the first three verses, I'd like to read those and I'll pray and we'll get into the message here tonight. The Bible says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I thank you for tonight and thank you for the opportunity to be able to share the word of God. Please use tonight's message to speak to our hearts. And uh, may we follow that which you ask us to do and uh, help us to have some clarity uh, about uh, some of these things that are spoken of tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Doesn't it seem like life is busy? I mean, I think you'd all agree with that. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're an office worker, construction worker, a stay-at-home mother, a retiree, or a student. It seems like life is plain busy. Just always too many things to get done, too many demands, too many responsibilities, too many bills, too much urgency, and we live in a very fast-paced, results-oriented world. And even with all the great technology, which we keep hearing as new technology comes about, it's supposed to simplify our life. I'll be honest with you, I'm waiting for that simplicity to still arrive. I really am. We hear today about people, though, in all of this busyness, that there's work-related stress, depression, burnout. The very hectic pace that many people keep is actually causing damage to the quality of life. We're really destroying, if you will, every sense of our being, that is our body, our soul, our mind, every part of us. And there's a reason that we run faster and we work harder but we always seem to just fall behind, and our lives are seemingly out of balance. And yet, I believe that with all the busyness and with all the stuff that kind of races by us, that there's really an answer to this type of problem. God established the answer right in the very beginning here in the book of Genesis. It's something that is called rest. Now, you ask any doctor, and they'll tell you that rest is essential for your physical health. When the body is deprived of sleep, it is unable to rebuild and recharge itself in or adequately. Therefore, your body requires rest. Ask any athlete, and they'll tell you rest is essential in physical training. Rest is needed for muscles to repair themselves and to prevent injury. Go ahead and ask uh, many of today's and yesterday's philosophers. They'll tell you that rest is essential for the mind. In fact, Leonardo da Vinci was quoted as saying, Every now and then, go away, have a little relaxation, for when you come back to your work, your judgment will be sure. 
Ask any farmer and they'll tell you that the ground in which crops are planted in, that the ground needs to have rest. In fact, God established that in the very Old Testament with the people of Israel, that every seventh year was to be a Sabbath of rest for the land. It was very important. Ask many corporate leaders today, they'll tell you that rest is essential for productivity. In fact, one time, Forbes magazine in one of their articles quoted, was quoted as saying, you can only work so hard and do so much in a day, everybody needs to rest and recharge. Your productivity requires rest. So again, if you just go around the world and you ask physicians, you ask athletes, philosophers, religious leaders, corporate leaders, all of them are going to tell you the same thing. You and I both need rest. It is essential for a balanced and healthy life. So it seems for us to reclaim, it's important for us to reclaim this aspect of this rest for one day a week. Notice the text that we read here today. It's very interesting. We come into chapter 2, but I hope you understand in studying your Bible that the chapter divisions are not actually even inspired, all right? Those are actually man-made. And truthfully, there is a continuation from chapter 1, verse 31, to chapter 2, verse number 1. It seems to me that the first verse of chapter 2 is a summary account of the creative activity that God had accomplished in chapter 1. And then when you look at verses 2 to 3 that we read, it describes the rest that is the result of that completed activity. Now notice here what it says that God did in verse number 2. It says that He rested. All right, do we all get that? God rested. But notice the day that He rested on. It was the seventh day after the six days of creation. But something important is, needs to be noted in these verses. It's not just the fact that God rested. It's not just the fact that it happened on a particular day. But in verse number 3, look at three words here in the second phrase where it says, And sanctified it. God took that day that He rested and He sanctified it. What does the word sanctify mean? Literally has this idea of setting apart. If you were to look at the Hebrew word from which this word sanctified comes from, it has the idea of something that is etched out or carved out for a very specific purpose. Well, is it not interesting that you and I who have been saved have also been sanctified, if you will? Why are we saved? Why are we sanctified? You and I are set apart, etched out, carved out to actually be able to give glory to God. We're sanctified, set apart for God's purpose. And therefore, what God is telling us in these verses is that this particular day on which he rested, he sanctified it, he set it apart for a reason. So the question follows now, what are the reasons that God sanctified this day? Why is this day unique? Well, 
very interesting to look at this. Look at three different verbs that are in these verses here, verses 1 through 3. Note the word in verse number 1, the word finished. Notice here, it's actually, that word is also the same Hebrew word as ended in verse number 2, but the first word, finished. In verse number 2, the second verb I want you to notice is the word rested. And then in verse number 3, the third verb is the word blessed. So finished, rested, blessed. Now, is everybody there? Give me a hearty amen if you're there. All right? Now, notice here that as these verses are given to us, each of these verbs, if you will, are given in connection with the seventh day. So notice here on verse 2, on the seventh day, God ended His work. In the latter part of verse 2, He rested on the seventh day. In verse number 3, the third verb, God blessed the seventh day. But here's something else even more marvelous, is the fact that God's name, if you will, is attached with it. Notice here again, on the seventh day, who ended his work? Say it, God, all right? On the seventh day, it says that he rested, that is God. And then in verse number three, and God blessed the day and sanctified it. So I want to go ahead and follow this outline, if you will. God sanctifying this rest day and the reasons why he did it. What's going on here? Well, first of all, number one, I want you to notice that God ended his work of creation on the seventh day. Now, the most striking thing that this passage gives to us that differs from every other day, the other six days of creation, is this. On the seventh day, we don't have it listed morning and evening or evening and morning. What did we read in chapter 1? Remember we went through these uh, passages? And after every creative day, what did we have? On the evening and the morning, that was the first day. The evening and the morning, that was the second day. Evening and the morning, that was the third day. But you come to the seventh day, that's not given. Now, what is evening and the morning indicating? We didn't really talk about this in the previous messages, but it's not giving us so much a time factor. When you and I think of evening, we say, well, that's the particular time of the day or the morning. That's the early part of the day. We think in, time, in sense of time. But when God gives in chapter 1 the evening and the morning, He's giving us this development process. In other words, it is this idea of that when the morning began, that there was nothing that was there as far as maybe the animals or the planets or whatever else it was. And then at the end of the day, as things developed, there it all was in that particular day. And on the seventh day, the day that God rested, the day that God sanctified it, it does not tell us that there's the evening and morning, not that there wasn't, but to me it's a very strong indication of the fact that now everything is completed. And I want you to get a hold of this fact that this seventh day that God rested completed creation, and you've got to grab hold of how important that is. You see, there's no, on the seventh day, it wasn't like there was loose ends to tie up. There weren't any problems to fix. I mean, how many of you 
ladies or men, you've done a project and then you have to go back and kind of tidy some things up. I mean, it's just kind of the way things are in this world and how we do. But it's not like God got to the six days and created everything and said, well, boy, I got to I got to plan out the seventh day and I got to fix that. And, and boy, that's wrong over there. And I got to tidy up that thing. No, no. God, when he created everything, he said it was good. It was perfect. He was done on that seventh day. He rested. But it's more important to understand not just the fact that God didn't need to tidy anything up, but this argument of resting on the seventh day flies in the face of the evolutionary doctrine. You see, what the evolutionists want to tell you is that there is a continuation, that there is things that are constantly going on. But here we see an emphasis on the seventh day. In fact, that emphasis on the seventh day is seen in other parts of Scripture. We see the six-day creation week in Exodus chapter 20 when the Ten Commandments are given. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord. And then he gives a reason right in the latter part of verse number 11. He says, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Now, Interesting to note in verse number one, the word finished and the word ended. Why does it use these words here? We might simply say, well, God just did everything he needed to do and he was just all done. And you'd be right in that. But there's something interesting behind the word finished and behind the word ended. It has the idea that everything that God intended to create was created. That everything God had planned on doing, it was done. So when he got to the seventh day, there was nothing else really to do. Everything that God had intended to do as far as this world, as far as mankind, as far as the animal kingdom, everything was completed and it was done. Let me illustrate it this way to help you understand. Imagine if I gave one of you a little task, and maybe it not, might not be a little task, especially if it was a morning service, to take all of the cars from the main parking lot and drive them over the gym parking lot. Now, when you started moving the cars, you'd get them all done, and you'd get to the last car, and you'd finally drive that over the gym parking lot. You'd say, you know what? I'm all done. There's no more cars. And you'd be right in saying that. But there is a sense in this fact that you could walk back over to me and come to me with the last set of keys and say, I fulfilled what you intended for me to do. And that's the idea of God finishing this work, ending his work and resting on this day that what he intended to do for those six days was done. No more creation. Now, is God still working in our world? Absolutely is. But as far as creation is concerned, it was done. So that's the first thing of his sanctifying of this day. Second thing I want you to notice is that God rested on this day. So verse number two, on the seventh day, God ended his work. Then he rested on the seventh day from the work in which he did. Now, please don't get the notion or the idea that God was really, really tired after the six days. Or that he had to kind of recoup a little bit because he thought, whew, that's a lot of energy that's gone out of me. Can I say to you that when God works, there is no lessening of his energy? God cannot be weary. God does not need his energy to be renewed. 
as Isaiah chapter 40 verse 28 says, that the creator of the ends of the earth fainteth not, neither is weary. God doesn't get tired. God does not have to sleep in order to feel better because the psalmist tells us in Psalm 121 verse 4, Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Aren't you glad that God doesn't go to sleep on you? Aren't you glad to know that there's not a time that you live this life, not one moment, that God doesn't know what's going on? So God doesn't get tired. But it's interesting here, this word rested in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, it's actually the word Shabbat, which actually is a kind of similar word to the word Sabbath here. It actually means that he abstained from creative work. God had created everything he needed to. He completed it. There was no more to do, and therefore he ceased from his work. Now, I want you to think of something. I'm going to have you turn to this verse a little bit later, but I'm going to just give you this sense. In Exodus 31, verse 17, there's something special about the rest. Actually, I want you to turn there now. If you'd hold your place here, go to Exodus chapter number 31, and I want you to notice verse number 17. Exodus 31 and verse number 17. Something very special to see about this. God's talking here about the Sabbath day with the Israelites. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But notice here, 31 verse 17, It is a sign, that's a Sabbath, between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day He rested. Now that's the same word that we have in Genesis 2 verse 2. But notice the last phrase, And was refreshed and was refreshed now to say that God was refreshed does not imply that God lost a bunch of energy in the creative process of the six days and had to regain all that no in other words this word refreshed has this idea that God looked at everything he did and he looked at it with delight and satisfaction That's the idea of refreshing. Now, I want you to keep that in your mind of this idea of refreshing because I'm going to bring this up at the end of the message about what this means for you and I. God rested on that day, but He was refreshed. He wasn't tired for working hard those six days and needed to replenish His energy because God's power doesn't have those type of limitations. But in other words, God was delighted and satisfied in what He had done. How beautiful that was. So, God sanctified this day because He ended His work. God sanctified this day because He rested on it and found the refreshment. But I want you to notice in verse number 3 of chapter 2 of Genesis, something else here where the Bible says, And God blessed the seventh day blessed. It's interesting to note as we have now gone through chapter 1 and these three verses of Genesis 2 that this is now the third time that God has blessed something. Verse number 22 of chapter 1, what did God give a blessing to? The animals. Verse number 28, God also blessed mankind. 
Now, in chapter 2, verse number 3, God blesses this day. Now, interesting to note, if you want to look at it, verse 22 of chapter 1, verse 28 of chapter 1, notice here, there is something attached with the blessing. God blessed the animals and told them to be fruitful and multiply. God blessed mankind and told him and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. Now, the words fruitful and multiply are not used in verse 3 of chapter number 2, but we can easily surmise that the blessing that was given to the animals to be fruitful and multiply and the blessing that was given to mankind to be fruitful and multiply is also the same blessing given to that day when we honor this day that there is a true multiplication and a great vitality of this beautiful day. There's fruitfulness. There's wonder in being able to have the blessing of this day. So how interesting to note what God does here. And God sanctifies this day. He sets it aside as a specific function to perform. Now I've given those three points and I'm going to take the next few moments to give to you some concluding thoughts to all of this. God sanctified this day and He set it apart because He ended all His creative work. He rested on this day. He blessed it because there's a, there's a power in this particular day where we will flourish and where we will find God's blessing as we honor this. But I think it begs the question concerning the significance of this particular day for us. In other words, if God sanctified this day, well, that seems pretty important. How should you and I approach this particular day? Is God laying down some type of universal law that He expects us to obey? Are you and I required to approach the seventh day, that is, Saturday, as that specific day? Some of you may be familiar, if, you're, if you have an understanding of some other groups within the grand umbrella of Christianity, if you will. I mean, I, I shouldn't even say Christianity, but as far as Seventh-day Adventists, Seventh-day Baptists even, who will hold to the worship on Saturday? Well, let's go ahead and maybe answer these questions. Let's go ahead and throw this question up on the screen and let's talk about this. Are you and I required to follow the Sabbath? That is the seventh day. You say, Pastor, have we been wrong all this time on worshiping on this Sunday and having this day as a day of rest? Well, let me give you a few things to consider when it comes to the Sabbath. And I want you to, with this thought, turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter number 20. In Exodus chapter number 20, verses 8 through 11, you'll find that this is right smack in the middle of where God is giving the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel. And in verse number 8, it begins the fourth commandment. Let me read it to you. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy maidservant, thy manservant, maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. And wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So very, does this not sound like Genesis 2, what we read? Are you with me? All right. Sounds like Genesis chapter number 2. It's, it's really referencing that, and he's given the reason for commanding the Israelites to observe a weekly Sabbath day, that is, a weekly day of rest. I want you to notice here, it's important for us to remember that in Exodus chapter 20, these Ten Commandments, this is very specifically given to the nation of Israel as His chosen people back here in these Old Testament times. When it comes to the Sabbath here, He's not issuing a command for people who are outside of the nation of Israel. Now, when it comes to these Ten Commandments and looking at the fourth It doesn't mean that there aren't certain timeless principles or universal applicable principles that you and I cannot extract from this command, but it does mean that we need to be very careful about what God's requirements are today as opposed to what they were for ancient Israel. So it's important to understand that Exodus chapter 20 verses 8 through 11 tells us that God gave His people, Israel, a very particular day to go ahead and worship. Now notice here the second point. Exodus 31 tells us that the Sabbath was a sign between God and His people. So with that thought in mind, turn over several chapters, the same book, Exodus 31. Exodus 31, and let me read a few verses here, beginning in verse number 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel. So here's the context. This is the Israelites. Saying, Verily my Sabbaths, now it's in the plural, because when you read the previous chapters, there was more than one Sabbath celebration, if you will. There was a Sabbath of the one day a week, the seventh day. There was a Sabbath of the seventh year for the land to keep, God said, on the sixth year, your crops will produce enough to provide for two years for you. And it will provide that much. So there was a number of Sabbaths that were given, so it's given in the plural, but it includes this one day of the week. But notice the middle phrase of verse 13, for it is a sign. And who's the sign between? Between me, who's the me, that's God, and you, who's the you, that's Israel, throughout your generations. And why is this a sign? That ye may know that I am the Lord, that thus sanctify you. Look at verse number 16. Wherefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day He rested and was refreshed. 
you and I find no indication that God expected Gentiles, New Testament Christians, or non-Israelites to observe the Sabbath. Instead, he goes out of his way here in Exodus 31 to indicate the uniqueness of this and these Sabbaths, that it is something that is between him and his people Israel. Third reason, third thing to consider with regards to Sabbath. In the New Testament, all of the Ten Commandments are given emphasis but the Fourth Commandment. Can you recall some of the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt have no other gods before me, not make any graven image, not take the name of the, Lord's, uh, the name of the Lord in vain. We can think of the last several that are given about no, no, no murder, no lying, all these things. And it's interesting how those are repeated in the New Testament, but the fourth one about not keeping the Sabbath is not there. Acts chapter 15, when the leaders of the church were gathered together and they were setting out some required practices for the Gentile churches to observe, it's interesting that there's no mention of the Sabbath. Not only that, but you look at Paul's letters. Who are Paul's letters mostly to? Gentile people, non-Israelites. And what is Paul saying? It's interesting here that he doesn't talk about observing the Sabbath. In fact, we find several verses in Paul's letters that explicitly teach that Christians aren't in any way bound to a specific day. Now, I'm not going to take the time to look at these verses tonight, but I'd like for you to maybe jot them down and study them at your own time. Romans chapter 14, verses 1 and 5. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. In fact, in that passage in Colossians, here's what Paul is saying, is that the Sabbath here, as it was given to the Israelites, it was a shadow of things to come. And what Paul is telling us here is that that, thing, that that which was to come, Jesus Christ, has come and fulfilled all that. And therefore, we are not under the obligation of keeping the Sabbath. But now, number four here, considering this aspect here of are we required to follow the Sabbath? Well, let's think about this. Number four, while you and I have freedom in Christ and are not bound by the law... We are given a clear model from God Himself for a pattern of work and rest that brings blessing to His people. Now think about that. God's given us a model. God's given us something that we can follow there. You see, as you can see from the way that the statements are worded, God is not instituting a law for you and I in the New Testament or laying down some absolute requirement. You look back at Genesis chapter 2, God didn't say, hey, I rested and therefore you absolutely have to. Now, He, he did this with Israel and said some things, but what about for you and I? I believe, and I look at this as a model that God showed us. God gave us a general pattern. And that pattern is, work six days, rest one day. That brings blessing to our lives. And again, even though it's not an absolute requirement, it's still a pattern that we would do well to follow. Because what is this? To me, when I see what God has given to us in Genesis chapter 2, It is a gift from God. Instead of a life that's so busy 
and maybe empty of various other things, a, a life that is running ragged as we rush from this activity to this event, we're able to go ahead and have this habitual rest and we're able to enjoy what God has given us in this life. But I think about something else. If I was to take it a step further, all right, we're not under obligation per se. We don't have to keep that seventh day as a day of rest, but yet there is a pattern that God gave and there is something for us. So what day ought we to choose as a day of rest? Well, I want you to consider this. The New Testament Christian ought to select Sunday as his or her day of rest. Now, why is that? Well, you look through the New Testament, and on a couple of occasions, here's a reference that is given, the Lord's day. The phrase, the Lord's day. Revelation chapter 1, verse number 10, refers to the Lord's day, and it's a designation that was very common, if not universal, amongst all early Christians. It seems to point to the fact that there was a unique day that was set apart when believers came together and they gave that day as unto the Lord. Now, all of us as Christians are to give every day to the Lord. I mean, in a real sense, is not every day the Lord's day? Sure it is. Every day I wake up and I have breath, every day my feet hit the floor, I am cognizant of the fact, God, this is your day. But there is one specific day that is totally set aside where we focus our attention on the Lord more than usual on the other days. Another reason I know about this particular day of selecting this day in the New Testament, Acts chapter 20 verse number 7 talks about the first day of the week when you come together and bring your gifts and gather together. So it was on Sunday, not on Saturday. Sunday has not become some type of Christian Sabbath, but there is a biblical precedent that was given through the New Testament. Now let me just go ahead and wrap it all up and let's maybe just apply this here. And what does this mean for you and me? All right, God instituted, He sanctified this, seven, this day. He ended all His work. He rested on that day. He blessed it. We understand, all right, the seventh day, that was a sign between God and Israel. You and I as the New Testament, not that we're obligated to that seventh day, but God gave us a model, work six days, rest one day. We notice how the New Testament here, that Lord's Day, that first day of the week, very important for us to give it. So what does this mean for you and me? Well, number one, if Sunday is a day that you absolutely must work, find a day during the week to rest. We have a couple people in here, they're police officers. They, they, you know, they're, they're, their schedule is dictated to them. We have people in our church who, are, who have been nurses and, and they're doctors and sometimes they're on call, people that work in restaurants. I mean, probably at least half of you went out to a restaurant this afternoon. You expected somebody to serve your dinner to you and expected somebody to go ahead and cook it, all right? I mean, there are things that happen so I understand living in this day that there are some people that must work, but may I say that if you do find yourself having to work, you ought to find a day of rest. Now truthfully, in, in, my, uh, in my field, as far as what I do here, Sunday is my biggest day. I, I can't even just, I cannot even describe to you 
how tired I am typically if I preach Sunday morning, Sunday night, if I do a Connect with Calvary class, if I do teach a Sunday school class, I go home and I'm ready to crash. And I don't set my alarm on Monday morning, and Monday really is my day of rest. Now, I enjoy this day because there are particular things I'm going to share with you about what we ought to consider as far as this day, but I'm just relating to you that truthfully, this is a very strong work day for me, if you will, in the preaching aspect, and so therefore I find a day of rest. Number two, what does this mean for you and I? Well, I think we ought to be intentional at setting the Lord's Day as a priority. I ought to get some amens on that. Observing a weekly day that is set aside unto the Lord is a gift of our time. Now, God's given us this time, but He asks us, if you will, that we ought to give this week to Him. It's not easy sometimes in a busy world to stop and give God our time. Sometimes the busier we are, It's hard to go ahead and stop and reflect and and take that time. But giving the Lord this day, as you have done today, says to the Lord Jesus Christ that you honor Him. You love Him. Imagine if the governor of the state of Florida came to you and said, Now, I'd like for you to give me one day a week to help me in my office. Well, Would that not be an honor to be asked? Sure it would. Can I say to you that God has asked you, if you will, to give one day to honor Him? It's kind of like giving our money. Sometimes it's not always easy, especially when things are tight. It's always going to cost, but I'm telling you what a blessing it is to give. Giving to the Lord a day a week from our busy schedules will cost us sometimes from our projects and our plans. But God will bless us if we do it. If you read Isaiah chapter 58, verses 13 and 14, I wish I could turn there tonight, but it's amazing how the Lord gave the Israelites a special promise because they gave that day to the Lord. God blessed and sanctified one day a week, so should you and I. So what does it mean for you and me? Well, third thing, make this Lord's day about Him, not you. Make it about Him, not you. Now, I've tried to put my imagination a little bit as I've studied this. Think with me for just a moment. On the sixth day, God creates Adam and Eve. God gets to the seventh day, and He's rested. He's ended His work. And I know this is not in the Bible, but I just can't help but think about it. God, remember, the Bible says God was rested and was refreshed. He stood back with delight and satisfaction in all that he did. I can almost imagine him putting his arms around Adam and Eve and saying, look at that. Look at that over there. Look at how those stars are twinkling in the sky. Look at how beautiful those trees are. Oh, the colors on those flowers are so beautiful. And I want you to think about what this particular day is. 
I know there are some of you that are involved and you say, all right, well, you know, I've got nursery duty or I I teach Sunday school or I've got to do this or I'm involved in this area and I sing and and I understand there are things that we do, but don't forget about the worship of God. To step back, to take a one day of the week to be able to be rest and then to be refreshed and to be able to look at God and to commune with Him and say, Oh God, You've done a good work, not just at creation, but You're doing a good work in my life. Oh, how wonderful it is. As we spend time with God in His Word, we find that refreshment and that rest. Can I tell you, if you skip out on church just so you can watch TV and say, well, I just need to rest. I'm going to just watch this movie tonight. I'm not going to church. I don't think you'll get the rest that you need. You say, well, I've got to stay back from church because I've got to work on this project. I've got to take care of this. My friend, I want to tell you something. The best rest you have is right here. Being able to enjoy God and find Him. Sunday ought to be a sacred time Because God sanctified it. But would you notice the last reason? You and I will only find our true rest in Jesus Christ. Colossians 2.17 talks about the shadow. The Sabbath day was a shadow of things to come. Who was it to come? Jesus Christ fulfilled it all. He's the substance. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. But also I think of Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 30, where Jesus said here to those people, all of you that are laboring, all of you that are burdened, come to me and I'll give, I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. I guess what I'm trying to say here tonight is this is really God's gift for you so you can live adequately. Are you living adequately tonight? Do you find that you're coping with the situations in life that are thrust upon you every moment of the day? Are you confident as you're going through life? Are you capable? Are you fulfilled and blessed with the fruitfulness that God intends for you to have? The abundance of this Christian life. May I say that God's rest is designed to produce all of that. God said that He would make it available for that purpose. He sanctified this day. And if you'd honor and give that day of rest, you would find that it'd be a beautiful thing and how God would allow the fruitfulness and abundance to be in your life. Somebody once said, and I want to put these quotes up on the screen, Without Christ, we will work even while we are resting. And with Christ, we will rest even while we are working. There's a famous quote by an early church father by the name of Augustine, and I end with this. He says this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Find your rest in God. How important that is.